0: But Exodus chapter 34 is is where we are this morning and as you see up on the screen, uh, we're going to be looking at and uh, looking at the scripture that deals with this jealous God, the jealous God. Uh, You know, uh, when we were, as we're reading through, uh, if you're doing your engaged Bible reading, if you're doing the Old Testament uh, part of that, uh, I'm doing all of it, you know, and and, uh, and looking, reading through the Bible in, in a year. Maybe you're doing that. Uh, when we were in the the in the book of Exodus, maybe it jumped out at you. And I've seen it before, but it just kind of, I don't know. God just kind of stirred something in my heart as we're reading through the book of Exodus. And uh, a couple of times there in the book of Exodus, God is called this jealous God. And then in Deuteronomy, it's mentioned again about God being a, a jealous God. And even in the book of Joshua, uh, God is referred to as a, uh, a, a jealous God. And back in the spring, when I, I saw that, I began doing a little more study and, and thinking uh, about that. And and in looking at when God's described as this jealous God, who is it that he's jealous of? You know, that's that's kind of the, the question. What does, what does that mean that God is a jealous God? I don't know if you've heard... Uh, the Oprah Winfrey's religious story, uh, I don't want to say testimony, uh, but her religious story about, you know, she was raised in church <laughs> in Mississippi, and, and so she was raised up with that kind of background, but uh, when she was like, I think she says in her in her twenties or so, uh, she was attending a church and, and there was an emotional stirring going on in the church and the worship service like there usually is, and the preacher was uh was shouting and getting the people all stirred up and everything, and then the preacher made a comment about uh, talking about God and said and 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 you know yelled out, our God is a jealous God, and everybody said Amen to that. And she said there was something about that when she heard that uh, that just didn't set right with her, that didn't feel right to her when she heard that God was a jealous God. And for her, that was a big negative and led her to start pursuing other religions and investigating other religions. And part of that is because she associated jealousy with abuse, that whenever you're talking about someone being jealous, that's being selfish, that's being self-centered and often leads to violence and things like that. And she just didn't like that picture of God. Well, the Bible calls God a jealous God. And we're going to look at this in this scripture. Now, let me kind of set this up for you as we get into Exodus 34. Where we're reading here, Moses, you remember Moses led the children of Israel. God led the children of Israel through Moses out of bondage in, in Egypt. A great work, a, a, a awesome work that that God did he led them Through the Red Sea, part of the Red Sea, did a great miracle, and here they are in the wilderness on their way to the promised land uh, that that God was going to take them to this land flowing uh, of milk and honey. God was providing for them every day. They were having manna to eat in the wilderness. And at this time, God goes up on, uh, or Moses goes up on the mountain to meet with God. And it's there that God delivers uh, the law to him and gives him details about how. how they were to worship him and and how they were to, to, to live their lives in a way that honored this God that loved them enough to bring them out of bondage to take them to a land that they had not worked for and would give them the victory as they went into that land. Now, while Moses was up on the mountain meeting with God, you remember the story, what happened? The children of Israel began worshiping other gods immediately. They went to Aaron. They said, we don't, No, we don't know if Moses has died or whatever. We don't know if Moses is coming back. Maybe this God has killed him. Give us another God to worship. And then they had this golden calf that they made. And here Moses did come back. And in the chapters leading up to Exodus 34, there's Moses interceding for the people. And God here in chapter 34 and in the previous chapters is revealing something about himself That God is not just one God of many gods. That is not who he is. He is calling these people to himself. That is what they were doing. And they had gone after these other gods. And so in the context of of God revealing this about his nature, about being a jealous God, understand what God is doing, God is revealing his heart as he deals with sin. Look with me in Exodus chapter 34, beginning in verse 1. Where it says, and the Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. You remember, Moses got mad and destroyed the others when he came down. And he says, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you, and let no man be seen throughout all the mountains. Let neither flocks nor herds feed uh, before that mountain. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. And then Moses rose early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hands the two tablets of stone. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Understand what's going on. God has not rejected israel they should have been rejected but god is coming back and he's given this them these tablets again. That's 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 the situation that is is going on here. Matter of fact, God told Moses. He said, "I tell you what. I'll just start over with you." And Moses said, "No, no, 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 no. God, remember who you are. Remember that you are this God of, of compassion and mercy and, and everything." And God knew that's what he was. God wasn't being corrected by Moses, but it's just revealing his heart to Moses and to us and to the nation of Israel as well. Now, notice what he says. It says the uh, in, in, in verse. 5, it says, Now the Lord descended in the cloud, stood with them there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God. Look, remember the context of what's going on. They've just been worshiping this golden calf. And here's what, how God describes himself. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So Moses made haste and and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Then he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my lord i pray go among us even though we are a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your inheritance wow amazing verse 10 and he god said the lord said behold I make a covenant. Before all your people, I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, and all the peoples among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I'm driving out from before you Amorite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite, take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you're going, lest it be a snare in your mind. But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, Cut down their wooden images or their idols, for you shall worship no other god. And here it is. For the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. So we see this phrase and we see it in the context of it, the way it was given. Now, Back when I when I first came here several years ago, a matter of fact in the in the first or second year when I came here, we did a study on Sunday nights on the names of God, and, and we talked about all these different names of God. We talked about El El Yon, which is the most high God. The word El means God, and then these other descriptions that go with it. There was El Shaddai, the, the Almighty God. There was El Roy, the, the God who sees. There was El Olam, the everlasting God. And here is a name of God that we didn't address back then. Matter of fact, I, I, didn't, I wasn't even a, really a, aware of this as a name of God until I began studying this. It's not one of the more popular names of God that you see in all these books that, that talk about the names of God. But here we have the name of God, El El Elkanah, the jealous God. The jealous God. And what it means by a jealous God, what we're looking at here in the verses that surround it, what he means by being a jealous God is that God, he is the God who desires and deserves total devotion. No other gods, no other idols. He desires and he deserves total devotion. You see, Oprah's issue was that she didn't understand what God was taught. See, God's not jealous of us. He's not jealous of us. That's what she was thinking that, that, that description of God was. You see, God doesn't need me. He's not, he's not trying to control me just because he needs me. Uh, uh, he doesn't need us to obey him. He doesn't need us to worship him. We're, he's not using us for himself. That's not what it means when God is a jealous God. He's not jealous of us. He's jealous for us. And that's, that's different. Because, see, this God, the way he's described in this passage of Scripture and in, in the book, of—it he's not a God who, is, who needs us. He's a God who wants to give himself to us. And these idols, these other gods that we go after, prevent us from experiencing this relationship with God, this fullness of God, what God is wanting to give to us. See, that's different. He's not jealous of us. He's jealous for us. He wants our best. And any type of idol that comes into our life, and really any type of sin is a barrier, is something that, that must be dealt with because it prevents us from experiencing the greatness and the glory and intimacy with the God of the universe. You see it a little different now? Our God is a jealous God. Now, when we say jealous, there's different ways. This is what we need to understand. First of all, God is jealous for his glory. He is jealous for his glory. In other words, he doesn't share his glory with other gods. Verse 12, that's what he's talking about here. He said, when you come here uh, into this land where all these other people are, they worship all these other gods. But he says, this is what, he says, make sure when you get among these other people that you don't go along and begin worshiping their gods. He says in verse 12, take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you're going, lest it be a snare in your midst. And the snare is their idolatry. He says, but you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images, for you shall worship no other god, for the Lord uh, whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. And so he's talking about these other gods. Why, Why destroy these other gods? Because God doesn't share his glory with anybody or with any other god. Ezekiel 39, 25, God says that he is jealous for his holy name. Only he gets the name Lord God. Only he is God. Exodus 42, 8, when Isaiah, I mean Isaiah 42, 8, when Isaiah is, is prophesying and, and, and against the idolatry and letting them know that judgment is coming because of their continual idolatry, God says this, he says, I will not give my glory to another. They can't handle the glory of God. They don't deserve the glory of God. You see, there are these other gods, these other gods. And if you notice the, the other gods that, uh, uh, on the, the outline there, it's a little g because they're not really gods. People worship them as gods, but they don't, they're not nothing compared to our God. God is not jealous of other gods. That's not what we're saying here. But what we're saying is is that he is jealous for his glory. And he does not share his glory with these other little g gods that people try to worship. You see, these other gods will fail. Verse 12 talks about them being a snare uh, uh, among you and 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 so he says there that they are this this snare that they they cannot help you they will lead you to fail they they will lead you into a trap they will lead you to experience death and destruction they're not real They cannot help you. These other gods, these other things that we bring into our, whatever it is that we're looking to, if we're looking to this world, if we're looking to to money, if we're looking to uh, a prestige, if we're looking to fame, whatever it is that we're looking for, they cannot deliver. They will fail every time. and So God is not jealous of them. But he will not share his glory with them. They will fail us, and every idol will move you away from God and away from the help that only he can give. They fail, and they fall. Notice what he says in verse 13. He says, but you shall destroy their altars. If they're really gods, you can't destroy their altars (laughs) and break their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images. He talks about destroying them. How can you destroy these other gods? Because they're not really gods. They're nothing. And one day, all these other gods, every other god that the people have worshipped other than God, will be nothing but dust. They fall. You know, there's some folks that think, and I think there's a biblical basis for it, and we ain't got time to do the study this morning, but there's some that, that think that there's a, a demon uh, connection between all these other gods. When you look at the idols that were made, they're hideous in and, and, and their form and stuff, and there's a demonic deception. And listen, there are spirits, there are evil spirits that are out there, but understand this, the Bible also says that the day is coming when every knee will bow. <laughs> not only of people, but of every being, everything that has ever been created, even those that have rejected God will bow before God. They will all fall. And see, we have this God that will not let us fail and will not let us fall. And so he moves against other idols and other gods. Notice the one true God. He should turn his back on us because we go after these things. We rebel against him. But this God, the one true God, never fails and never falls. And notice how he's described it. He's not described as this almighty, although he is the almighty God, although he is the all holy God. This is how he describes himself to the people who have gone after, already gone after another God and just a matter of days of being delivered, they're already going after another God. And this is how he describes himself uh, to them. Look in in verse six. First of all, he says that that he is merciful. He says, and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, the jealous God, he is merciful. That's talking about his heart, his heart of compassion. That's what the word mercy means. It means from the deep recesses of his soul and his heart, he loves us. He cares for us. It's the love of a superior to the inferior. We don't deserve the love of God, but just like a mother takes care of a child that cannot take care of himself, God loves us. He is merciful. And then he says that he is gracious to us. The word gracious talks about his activity, that he is a a giving God. He not only shows heart, compassion, and feels for us in his heart, but he moves in his heart, and he moves toward us, and he gives us favor and blessing we don't deserve it it's unmerited favor but he is a gracious God and then it describes not only merciful and gracious but long suffering there in verse 6 I'm glad that God has a long fuse he has a long fuse and there's a, a long time before he acts in justice. He gives us time to repent. He gives time for restoration. He is a long-suffering God. And then it also says, not only that, but he is abounding in goodness. And goodness overflows uh, from him. The word goodness is the, the Hebrew word kesed and it means to be faithful. He is faithful. He always does what is good. Everything God does is is good. It is good for us and it it is good for him. That is his nature. He does good and he does it out of love. He always loves us. He is faithful to love us. He cannot stop loving us. He cannot do bad and he cannot stop loving us. That is the faithfulness of God. That's what it means when God says, I'm a jealous God. It means I can't stop loving you. (laughs) I will never stop loving you. And I will always do what is good for you. That's a powerful God. Then it says he is abounding in truth there in verse 6. That means he is reliable. He is firm. He is stable in his love and in his his work with us. He is true and consistent to do what is right right, to do what is good, to do what is in our best interest. You see, this God, the one true God, he deserves total devotion. Total devotion. Do you understand that? That is our God. He deserves complete worship. We ought to give up everything and never go to anything other than this one true God who has revealed himself to us, who has saved us, who has redeemed us. Let's give him everything. That is what he deserves. He's jealous for his glory because he alone deserves it. But God is also jealous for his people. And look in, we didn't read these verses, but look after verse 14 and verse 15. Where he says, Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods, and make sacrifice to their gods. And one of them invites you, and you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods, And make your sons play the harlot with their gods. So you shall make no molded gods, no idols for yourselves. And that's exactly what they did. Exactly what they did. Now remember, he's not jealous of us, he's jealous for us. We are his. We belong to him. He has a possessive love. He has a protective love. He has a passionate love for us, but we reject that love. We move away from that love. We are guilty of, first of all, of self-idolatry. You know, we talk about these, these. they're talking about these little wooden idols and these poles and these pillars and these altars and things like that. Today, the biggest idol that we worship is a, is the idol of self. And and God recognized that too, that really all idols come back to this idol of ourselves. In Jeremiah uh, chapter 16 and verse 10, uh, he says, and it shall be when you show this people all these words and they say to you, why has the Lord pronounced all this great disaster against us? Or what is our Or what is our sin that we've committed against the Lord our God? Then you shall say to them, because your fathers have forsaken me, says the Lord. They've walked after other gods and they have served them and worshiped them and have forsaken me and not kept my law. And he says, and you have done worse than your fathers. For behold, each one follows, here he goes, the dictates of his own evil heart. So that no one listens to me. Our biggest idol is the idol of me. We serve ourselves. And even when we come to church, we do what we want to do. We serve out of comfort. We serve out of convenience. We we do what is easy. We do what brings our flesh pleasure. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he said, you know the end times are coming when people are lovers of themselves. And I guess we're in the end times. I don't guess, I know. (laughs) We are in the end times. Romans chapter 1 talks about the condemnation where people worship the creature rather than the creator. And the biggest creature that we worship is us. We're created by God and we worship ourselves. We're guilty of self-idolatry, and the Bible goes even further and describes it not only as self-idolatry, but he describes it as spiritual adultery. We've seen this word harlot used back in, in Exodus and in talking about the adulterer, the one who goes after others that are, that are not their spouse, that they're not married to. And Jeremiah describes it and and connects it to idolatry, or God does, in Jeremiah chapter 3, beginning in verse 6, where it says, The Lord said also to me in the days of Josiah the king, have you seen what backsliding Israel has done? He's talking about the northern tribes. She has gone up on every high mountain and under every green tree, and there played the harlot, and said after she had done all these things returned to me but she did not return and her treacherous sister Judah saw it so here's the 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 others they should have seen that and turned away from it he says then I saw that for all the causes for which backsliding Israel had committed adultery he's not talking about physical adultery He's talking about spiritual adultery he said I put her away and given her a certificate of divorce yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear but she went and played the heart and also so it came to pass through a casual harlotry that she defiled the land committed adultery with stones and trees. He's talking about idols. And yet for all this her treacherous sister Judah has not turned to me with her whole heart, but in pretense only saith the Lord. When we serve anything other than God, then we're spiritually, we are cheating on God. We're giving ourselves to another. Just like in marriage, when that takes place, you're breaking the marriage covenant. We're breaking covenant with God. The God who loves us and cares for us. But not only that, we're breaking his heart. Going after other gods, looking for things that only the one true God could provide for us. So God deserves our total devotion. The problem is, we do not give God total devotion. We do not. And in the Old Testament, when it's talking about when this took place, then there would be a stoning that would take place. That's what it means in the New Testament when Paul said the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. But understand this. Listen to me. Our God is a jealous God. That does not mean that he's ready to kill us. This is what it means because God is jealous for His glory and God is jealous for His people. And we don't give Him total devotion, but understand this God is jealous in His redemption. God is jealous in His redemption. Did you read? These people have already committed the sin of idolatry. And what did he say in verse 9? What does Moses talk about after God reveals himself as this God of mercy? He says, if now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let uh, my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. And God says, I will. I will. He should have thrown Israel away. Moses said, God, you're merciful, you're gracious, you're long suffering. That's who you are. And then, and that's good that Moses said that. But then we just read where God says uh, there in Exodus chapter 34, he goes, you're, you're right. I am. That's who I am. God is holy and righteous, but God is also a merciful, gracious, loving God full of long suffering, full of goodness, and full of truth. That's who he is. What does that mean? That means because God is a jealous God, this is what it means. Grab a hold of these truths. Number one, God will never stop fighting for you. Doesn't matter what you've done. Don't let the enemy tell you that you're too far away from God. God, the God who is a God of victory, the God who always wins the victory, he will never stop fighting for us. Never will. You know we talk about this jealousy but this jealousy is not in isolation. It is true with everything that we just read in verse 6. He is merciful. He does show com- have compassion for us and he never stops having compassion for us. This is the way he always is. He is always gracious. He's always giving to us. He is always actively giving things what we need to us even if it is restoration even if it is conviction. Whatever it is to bring us back he will give us what we need. He is long suffering. He is filled with goodness. He always does what is good and he always does what is true. He is reliable and so because of that he is always making a way to bring us to himself. He provides forgiveness and restoration and everything that we need to come back to him. That's how jealousy is for you. And then second truth, God brings us all the way back. Notice what Moses is talking about and what God agrees to. God doesn't just agree to not killing them, although I'm glad he agreed to not killing them. <laughs> but in verse 9, he says, If now I found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us. There he is, back among them. Go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity. Yes, there is forgiveness in our sin. And then he says, and take us as your inheritance. Did you catch what is going on? We, read, we mentioned that about, about his goodness, that it is it is that word kessed, which has to do with the faithfulness of God, the covenant of God. This is what God does. God does his part. He forgives us. He, 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 matter of fact, he, he did it in this way. He made the way for us. He sent his only son to pay the price for our sin. Our sin must be punished. Uh, and, and this holy and righteous God, he must do it. But he sent Jesus to take the punishment for us and so that we might experience forgiveness, that sin might be that we might be washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what our God did for us. That's how much he loves us. I'm thankful that God is a jealous God and didn't just say, well, you could just go your way and have those gods. No, he made a way for us to come back. He made a way for us to be forgiven. He made a way for the sin of rebellion to be removed. And then not only does he do his part, but God does our part as well. He not only forgave us, but this is what he did. He gave us a new heart that we could love God the way he deserves to be loved. And not only that, he put his spirit within us The God who could do anything lives within us and he can help us to walk in faithfulness to him, to serve him, to love him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. God, God, this is our God. This is the jealous God. He gives us total devotion. He desires and he deserves it from us. But he always gives it to us. John put it this way. He said, we love him because he first loved us. Does this stir your heart? Doesn't it stir your heart to worship him? Doesn't it stir your heart to obey him? Doesn't it stir your heart to tell others about him? This is the heart of God. May God's love draw us to himself this morning. Only God can love us like this. He desires and he deserves to be our first love. This is Doug Ferris, and I'm blessed to be the pastor here at Underwood Baptist Church. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. It's our prayer that you'll do more than listen to the sermon or gather religious information. We want you to encounter God And we pray that He will impact your life. If you'd like to contact us for any reason, please go to our website at underwoodbaptist.org. All our contact information is there, and we look forward to hearing from you. I hope you were blessed by today's message.